We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make low-maintenance bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we had nobody coming into the showroom. So we started doing virtual visits via Microsoft Teams. We're able to see two or threefold the amount of customers we used to be able to see. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. I really think it's going to set a standard for retail moving forward. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. But we are who we are. We're not a very good team, but we're three and one somehow. And we got all the voters fooled, thinking we're pretty good. Javorski Lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability. Welcome to a week nine edition of the Rotowire College Football Podcast. The Maurice Purify of College <laughs> Football Podcast. Nick Whalen back as always with Rotowire's college football guru, John McKechnie. John, we got stats back up on the site. Everything's running smoothly, except the Wisconsin Badgers will not be playing this weekend. Uh, actually, probably probably a better scenario than Wisconsin playing this weekend with its fourth-string quarterback. I think mm-hmm. Danny Vandenboom, uh, who's from very close to where I'm from, that was a big deal uh, in the local circles that he was potentially going to start. Oh, uh, word. The, game, the game ends up being called off, and uh, it, that has incited, uh, I, I think, digital riots, if there is such a thing, from Nebraska fans. <laughs> but a, what a week in Nebraska and and uh, not even just college football, but a, a whole thing with Nebraska. But my goodness, the um, you know, they've been at odds with the Big Ten. It feels like this entire summer into the fall. 
um, you know, what we'll break off and play our own schedule if you cancel and, and all this and that. And then, you know, obviously the Big Ten gets it together, puts a schedule together. Obviously, Wisconsin ends up getting too many cases. Apparently, Nebraska went ahead and like tried to get a uh, game on with, with UT Chattanooga. Uh, you know, Terrell Owens' university, go Mox. But um, yeah, that, that's just a, a not great look. The Big Ten struck that down pretty vehemently. Um, Nebraska's social media team had this tweet out of really embarrassing poll. Here, here's like the direct uh, poll from from at Husker Sports with a blue check. It's time for tonight's runs a Twitter poll. If the roles were reversed and the Huskers had six players and six, six staff members sitting out with positive tests, would the game be played Saturday? Thinking face. Man. Retweet. Retweet for a chance at a free runs a combo meal. So, um, yeah, a lot Man. of people get just got in on that. And I just like I can't believe an actual university ran. Like, I can see that from like a. A message board community like oh this is bs shoes on the other foot and we're definitely but i mean for an actual school's athletic program to tweet that out was <laughs> i didn't really know nebraska was this ridiculous but man it's not looking great this, so far i feel like there wouldn't be this much of a an urge for nebraska to want to play this game if wisconsin's first two quarterbacks weren't hurt you know i i think if if Wisconsin was going to come in. I mean, Nebraska just lost by 35 last week against Ohio State. Not exactly, you know, a momentum setting week one for them. Nope. But if I think this this now suddenly looks like such a winnable game for them that they're like, we have to play it. Of course we have to play it. And I don't know how Wisconsin, you know, how these things spread throughout the team. I mean, it, obviously there was the panic initially on Saturday when the, the Mertz report came out. And then all of a sudden Chase Wolf, who would have been the third quarterback, also test positive. And then I think Paul Christ himself. Also tested positive. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, if if Wisconsin just went out of their way to infect enough players on the team so they didn't have to play this game, I, I wouldn't necessarily be against that strategy because I don't <laughs> know what would have happened with a four-string quarterback. And I mean, now we can maybe talk about what we saw in week one from Wisconsin. But I mean, Mertz was the story. Yes, only please. Had from, one from, your, from where you're sitting, I want to hear what like All how right. your Friday was. Well, let me start with this. I So we went to, we, we had a group of, I think, like eight uh, all Wisconsin alumni, friends of mine in, in Milwaukee uh, to watch the game. And we went to a, a local brewery that was enforcing uh, social distancing, had tables spread out. No, no issues there. It was great. Had a nice view of the TV. They refused to put the sound on. They simply refused. And granted, the World Series was on. There was a game that night, but nobody was paying attention. Everyone was clearly there to watch the Badgers game. And I, I went up and very politely, as I've done a number of times, uh, asked, you know, hey, could you put the Jags game on? But, you know, all, all I was asking, like, hey, when the game starts, Sir, Apollo mind? 13 is playing with no right, sound. Yeah. <laughs> well, don't I don't ever want to talk about that situation. But <laughs> they, the lady just like straight up denied me and, and gave me a little bit of attitude, too. Like, she's like, well, just so you know, not everyone's here to watch the game. Like, was well, everybody here to listen to this like faint, like top 40 hits from 1995 playlist that's going on? Like, there, it's not like any music was happening or people were feeling that either. Like, so we watched the entire game without sound and subtitles for the record. Mm. Uh, so that was not great. But I mean, Mertz was incredible. 20 of 21, uh, five touchdowns, 248. What concerned me a little bit, and we, we kind of hit on this last week, is this Wisconsin running game. I mean, it's, you know, when, when you're when you're throwing the ball the way that Wisconsin almost never does, you can't complain. And Wisconsin did get to almost 200 yards as a team, but it took 54 carries to get 182 yards. You have three running backs, Garrick Roshik, Nikia Watson, and, and Isaac Warrendo. None of the three really looked all that great. When's the last time Wisconsin has had a game where the, its longest rush was 13 yards? You know, I, I think I was I was a little bit concerned 
Um, just the the massive downgrade in talent from a Jonathan Taylor to that trio uh, is something that I, I think, especially if they have to end up playing a few games without Graham Mertz, is something that could end up you know really being an issue for Wisconsin. That's a, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Like you know you you won't complain about uh, the run game so much if you have Mertz dropping back and, and playing or giving you like elite quarterback play. But, you know, it, it looks like there, there might be at least one game where Mertz has to sit out. You need to have that run game to, you know, support a guy like Danny Vandenboom. So when Watson and, and Garendo and Groshek are just simply not moving it whatsoever, maybe Wisconsin takes a look at, you know, some of the younger depth options, whether it's Jalen Berger or Julius Davis, whatever it might be. But I think pressing forward with those three guys is not going to be viable for, for very long. It, you know, it can, it can work against Illinois and it can work when your quarterback throws five touchdowns and is basically perfect the entire night. But that occasionally won't happen. You will occasionally play teams that are better than Illinois. So they, they got to get that figured out. I think we, we do have that right as like, if you have a big concern about Wisconsin beyond all the COVID stuff now, um, it's definitely the run game and the, and the drop off from years past and basically the, the entire history of the Wisconsin program. And you know what this comes back to? Not recruiting Ron Dane's son, who is now playing at Boston College. How do you let a guy like that slip through the cracks? I mean, uh, I think like LT's son plays at TCU. I don't know if he's a running back, but like I'm pretty sure I saw that he this be. morning. So how, yeah, how you let that slide? Uh, pretty unforgivable, and you and you gotta gotta uh, pay the price for it now. They should have offered that kid a scholarship like the moment he was born. Like yes. as soon as his head emerged, like it would have been like sign here, boom, like, binding. Yeah, like swaddled him in a scholarship offer. Yeah, it was. Yeah, exactly. It was just I don't know. I I, I have no words, but. Anyway, um, 21 day quarantine or 21 days, you know, you have to be away from the program is the rule when you test positive. Uh, the, the main concern there, of course, is Graham Mertz, although several other Wisconsin players are now going to be subject to that same situation. Uh, Nebraska game notwithstanding, you look ahead and and really from, from the people I talked to, nobody was too concerned about Nebraska. Nobody's too concerned about next week. It's the Michigan game which now you're starting to look into like, well, when did exactly Mertz test positive? Because the clock starts in theory, right when that happened, did he test positive after the game Friday night? Did he test positive at 9 a.m. Saturday? You know, in theory, that 21 days could expire within hours of the Michigan game uh, in three weeks. So it, there's there's still so much information that's, that's really yet to come out where we're not really sure what's going on, but that'll be something to monitor. My question to you, where did this 21 day rule come from? And I, I'm not attacking this as like a, you know, bitter Wisconsin fan, this doesn't make sense. But like, why why 21 days as opposed to some of the rules that we've seen in other sports like the NFL? Right. And it's been stark even compared to other college football conferences. Like right. it's it's closer to like a 10 to 14 day window. And I think the way that like, uh, I think it was Jeff Patrikas, one of the Wisconsin beat writers was laying it out was essentially you quarantine for, for 10 days, you know, absolutely no physical contact, physical activity with, with the team, anything like that. Right. And there's like an added ramp up window so that you're not going from being physically inactive to game action too quickly. But it's looking like it was a, and it was also um, to something where you can keep an eye on like the myocarditis thing. That That's obviously um, that was one of the bigger uh, sticking points 
earlier on in, in whether the Big Ten would even get this season rolling. Um, and uh, Ross Dellinger, uh, one of the ace college football writers out there, had an article yesterday just about how infrequently that seems to be showing up on the on the players that are testing positive. So it, it feels like the 21 day rule might actually just get readdressed here in season. And I know that Barry Alvarez was definitely not opposed to uh, maybe taking a second look at that. I think I saw a quote from him. So um, it wouldn't shock me if come two weeks from now, when it when it is Michigan week for Wisconsin, that this 21-day rule has, has been struck down and it's more in line with the 10 to 14 mm-hmm. days that we've seen in other conferences. So the other major non-game news item uh, that, that came across uh, fairly late last night Texas definitively not back on the field, uh, really right now not back off the field either. Quinn Ewers, uh, the number one overall prospect, obviously the number one quarterback as well in the class of 2022. Uh, so he's a high school junior right now, decommits from the Longhorns. I was very impressed with the notes app post that he <laughs> that he sent out on Instagram and Twitter. It was very mm-hmm. well edited, the punctuation. If anything, there were too many commas, but uh, really went against uh, the usual template for what you see with those. Uh, so very impressive on the grammar front. Uh, but already, you know, the minute that he posted that, you look at the replies and it's Ohio State, Ohio State. He's coming to Ohio State. That's where 247 is now projecting Ewers. Uh, I mean, obviously this would be a huge gain for Ohio State, but it feels like a bigger loss for Texas with Ewers being an in-state kid. Right. I mean, you figure that even if Ohio State wasn't able to pluck Ewers from from Texas, like they would still end up being okay at quarterback, no matter who they ended up with in in the 2022 cycle. But this, yeah, this was going to be like a huge building block for the Texas program. Like this was supposed to be the biggest... uh, quarterback recruit that they've gotten since Vince Young so probably the biggest recruit period that they've gotten since Vince Young Uh, he had been committed for a little while now he's you know now he's not and and it looks again like you know he's going to Tom Herman's old stomping grounds at Ohio State so like a a double kick to the pants there and uh, I mean uh, watch some of the film I mean these five-star kids it's hard to like really separate them out they all look just so dominant versus whatever competition they're facing but this kid looks like he's worth the hype and worth like half of college football Twitter, like freaking out last night because he was, uh, you know, leaving the Texas program and and all signs like Chris, getting crystal balled over to to Ohio State. That's that's yeah, like a double huge loss for for Texas. And again, Texas just like, I mean, you can't completely lock down the state of Texas as a program recruiting wise, yeah, as we've seen. <laughs> but I mean, when Texas is like losing big, big names from local program or from like local high schools, like Garrett Wilson, I believe is an Austin native. Um, and that now he's lighting it up at Ohio state. Like that, that's not a great look that, that, that a team from Ohio can come in and, and pluck your best guys and you can't get them from your backyard. Yeah. And you wonder, you know, what prompted that exactly, you know, it's not like Texas is coming off of back-to-back national titles or anything you know like what was the straw that that finally broke the camel's back uh, and we, we may never know um, maybe the Oklahoma game uh, just you know maybe this just the general vibes around that program but uh, you know not a great sign certainly because I mean that could be a linchpin too for for other commits you know in, in next oh, year's yeah. class or, or 2022. right all right let's get to the games from week eight um, let's, let's stick with the Big Ten Michigan Minnesota this was the headliner on Saturday night for the first time in a long time, I just found myself, you know, chilling. Uh, my girlfriend was out of town. I was able to watch wire to wire, start to finish this game. Uh, and it was a thorough Michigan Wolverines victory, 49-24. Joe Milton looked very good. Um, 
Tanner Morgan did not look very good. Some some uncharacteristic, you know, panic type throws for him. Only did only have one pick, but had a couple others that were that were pretty close. Um, I wouldn't say Minnesota, you know, completely laid an egg. I I really felt like it was more Michigan just playing a, a hell of a lot better than than almost anyone I think expected that they would look in Week One. Yeah, I think I think that's the right way to put it. Um, Michigan definitely has you know some pieces there. It looks like their defense and and their pass rush is going to be pretty nasty throughout the year. And um, you know a lot of people. Uh, who know the X's and O better than than I do say it looks like Milton is able to run what they were hoping to run under Shea Patterson and, and you know the numbers bear that out I mean he he looked very good um, both as a runner and as a passer on Saturday so yeah it looks like uh, just when I was ready to be out on Michigan they they, they pull mm. me back in so um, impressive win for them I was mostly uh, paying attention to uh, because the dogs and, and the Ravens were off last weekend. Fo- focused my football attention on, on uh, those mm-hmm. those Maryland Terrapins and uh, watched Ooh, them. That was that good. Get absolutely eviscerated by Northwestern. Um, so that's what I was mostly paying attention to. But every time I flipped over to the Minnesota Michigan game, I just could not believe how how good Michigan looked relative mm-hmm. to my expectations. And yeah, Minnesota, you know, maybe a little bit of a paper tiger last year and lost some guys uh, on defense, lost Tyler Johnson. So maybe they're, they're due for a step back this year anyway. But um, either way, very, very convincing stuff for, from Michigan. And now that they get to go up against Michigan State, who um, they lost to Rutgers. So. Yeah, that's one double A Michigan State. That's um, right. The story really, too, for Michigan, and I guess partially for the Minnesota defense, was the big plays on the ground. You know, Joe, Joe Milton looked good through the air, but you know, only had 225 yards, only had one touchdown. It was Haskins and Charbonnet just ripping off long runs. I mean, 159 of Michigan's 256 yards came on three plays. And it, it seemed like right, you know, Minnesota would answer back with a touchdown or a field goal and immediately would just give up a huge play, and all of a sudden Michigan's down at the eight-yard line ready to score again. It was... I think Minnesota's defense uh, was was more of the issue um, and, and kind of sent that offense into a zone that that it really didn't want to be for most of that second half, you know, having to take more chances uh, than a Minnesota team would would prefer uh, to have, you know, have had to do at that point in the game. Uh, shifting to the Alabama game, this is a huge win for Alabama. I mean, if you just look at the score, you look at the box score, you know, nothing really remarkable, but first play of this game, uh, and this sparked a debate on Twitter of should players this good be returning kicks, but Jalen Waddell, uh, suffers a lower body injury, and and he's now done for the year. This was one where you, you kind of felt like, having seen the play, that's where this was going. Not a surprise when that was announced. Uh, top three electric player in college football. Uh, yep. I, I think he was probably Absolutely. my favorite player to watch this year. Um, so a massive loss from a viewership standpoint. Um, obviously, if any team has the skill players to survive something like this, it is Alabama. But even then, I mean, I, I think... You don't need Jalen Waddle to beat Tennessee. You don't need Jalen Waddle to beat Vanderbilt. You might not even need Jalen Waddle to beat a team like Florida, uh, you know, in the SEC title game. But where you need him is when you find yourself in that playoff and you're playing Ohio State and you're playing Clemson and, and teams that can match you skill wise. All of a sudden, not having that piece becomes a pretty major issue, I think. Absolutely. So. So, yeah, I I don't mind uh, the him playing on special teams that's you know what what they've been doing so i mean why change it tennessee's uh field always seems to be the the site for catastrophic injuries not saying anything just saying but they do have like a morgue underneath the field there very weird um but uh yeah i mean i i absolutely hated seeing that i was actually so after that game kicked off i I drove 
home from the office here to, to finish up the, the rest of my work day. And, you know, I just see like the DMs on my phone. It's like, oh, Jalen Waddle, dude, like, oh, my God. And, and you know, I see the play. Uh, I see that he's getting put it loaded into an ambulance like very quickly after the injury happened. And <laughs> Almost like, never a good sign when the ambulance shows up. Yeah, it's like, oh, no way. And then, um, you know, Saban said he was out for the season at halftime. Like that's a pretty quick and decisive turnaround that, that, yeah. uh, you know, this was, this was very, very obvious that what needed to happen there. So, um, absolutely hated seeing that. And, and I think, yeah, to your larger point, this is going to be a major factor, not between, not between now and December, but, you know, come, come December or I'm sorry, come uh, late later on in the season when it's playoff time, and you need to have multiple threats to to really uh, push like the Clemson secondary or push the Ohio State secondary. That's where Waddle's impact mm-hmm. is going to be felt the most. Uh, Devontae Smith obviously can really carry the load. John Mechie has been, uh, I think, the big pleasant surprise for, for them so far. But they're going to need to find that next guy. I know they've recruited well, of course. So I think that they should have, you know, some high four star or five star floating around ready to, the, to uh, get his shot. And you just got to give credit to Alabama's ability to uh, like evaluate its talent. Like they don't only get the five star receivers, mm-hmm. but they all end up playing like them. So that they, they pick them, they know how to pick them there. And uh, you know, I, I imagine we'll we'll see one of these guys start to pop here um, as their season continues on Saturday. Yeah, Me- Mechie was not was Mechie even a five star? I think he was like a kind of a mid mid tier four star. Yeah, I think I think yeah, that's I was right. To see that, I looked that up on on Saturday. I, I couldn't believe it. Yeah, I think Devontae Smith might have even been, you know, less than a five star, mm-hmm. too. I think he was, you know, number three out of that, like, super class of, of Judy, yeah. Ruggs, and him. Like, I'm pretty sure he was the lightest recruited mm-hmm. um, of that group. So, yeah, it's not always just that they're getting the the number one receiving prospect. They just know who yeah. who really is, like, the not hidden gem, but, like, the guy that might be overlooked relative to where he actually is. Yeah, I mean, we can't, we can't all get Doriel Green Beckham. Yeah. <laughs> I still think he could have been good. I don't know. He's, yeah, he was kind of the OG like Donovan Peoples Jones, where like yes. no matter what, I would, I would he could he could resurface in the NFL as like a 35 year old in a couple of years, and I'd be like, yeah, I, I think he, I think he still got it. No, yeah, like that's a savvy move by that GM. That yeah, I would absolutely exactly. I would believe that unironically. Um, Rondale Moore, kind of a weird, borderline mysterious as Halloween approaches situation <laughs> going on there. He. You know, didn't get a lot of news ahead of the game, but he doesn't end up suiting up uh, for Purdue's victory on Saturday. And as of two days ago, you know, we, we got some comments from like Purdue players that were asked, like, where's Rondell Moore? Is he practicing? And they just said, like, I don't know, he's out. And it's not clear if he's out just for that practice, if he's going to be out for this week, if he's going to be out indefinitely. Do you have any read on what's going on right now? There's been some sentiment that, you know, like it could be he did opt out. Uh, is there some sort of eligibility concern with him? Like, did he, you know, did he hire an agent? And is that a problem? I mean, like, I just think that like Rashad Bateman was able to opt out and opt back in without really any problems. So I, I don't understand what makes it different in, in Moore's case. So I'm not sure the validity of, of like that particular theory. Um, he is a guy that as awesome as he is, I mean, he did miss most of the season last year with, with an injury. I, you know, Purdue is within their rights technically to uh, to stay mum on the nature of the injury here and and the extent of it. So I, I guess they're going to keep doing it. But it the longer it goes on, like the like you're saying, just the weirder and weirder. Like it, it's it feels and like the more 
um, I think like national eyes are going to be on the story of like, you know, why aren't you saying anything about Rondell Moore? Yeah. Can only run for so long, Purdue. You cannot yeah. hide. Yeah. So Notre Dame played, I, I think it's best game of the season so far by a pretty fair margin uh, on Saturday against Pittsburgh, 45 to three is, was the score in that one. I mean, there was a little bit of momentum maybe for, for Pittsburgh, you know, potentially pulling that upset uh, that was put to bed pretty easily and pretty early in that game. Ian book, 312 yards, three touchdowns, no picks, QBR almost uh, at 100 for him. Great game for Ian Book. Uh, you know, okay game on the ground for Notre Dame, but and defensively and through the air is where they really won this one. Exactly, yeah. And, you know, I think that, that even though the run game didn't really get going, I think you're not so much discouraged by that because Pittsburgh's run defense has been so good this year. You were concerned coming into this game through Notre Dame's what first four or five games, whatever it was that Ian book just hadn't been producing at all through the air. He, he had like at once not been overly accurate and then also just not throwing touchdowns, um, not being overly efficient. And he goes ahead and really gets himself on track on Saturday. Uh, the connection with Scourneck, the um, the Notre Dame, tra- or I'm sorry, the Northwestern transfer, that looks like it's going to be a thing now that Scourneck um, is healthy, was hurt a little bit earlier on in the season. So that's huge for them, getting their passing game ready because they got another kind of light test this week. I think a lighter one than, than the Pittsburgh one going up against Georgia Tech this week. But Clemson awaits on the other side of that one. So making sure that that passing game had at least some sort of momentum going into the Clemson game was huge for them. So get, getting mm-hmm. it done against Pittsburgh, a uh, very good sign that uh, for the Irish moving forward, I think. So last year or last year, last week, you were all over Iowa state and Oklahoma state being in defensive battle. And I think for the most part, you were right. I mean, score wise, 24, 21, Oklahoma state, a low scoring game, certainly by the standards that these, these teams have established over the last decade or so three combined picks for Brock Purdy and Spencer Sanders Chuba Hubbard and Brees Hall both went off, you know, Chuba 140 yards and a touchdown, Brees Hall 185 and a touchdown. But but you were right to avoid both of those quarterbacks uh, and to avoid, for the most part, the receivers for each team. Yeah. I mean, again, it's just it's been a very strange year. And, and these two teams both have legit defenses. OK, State's very experienced and Iowa's Iowa State's, I'm sorry, very just like kind of disciplined. So they play a good brand of defense there for the most part. So, yeah, I mean. Uh, the fact that that Hall and and Hubbard were able to go off, I, I think that they would go off against almost anybody in the Big 12. But but again, yeah, I mean, just 45 combined points um, in a game where in a lot of years you would expect that to be like maybe the losing uh, com- score for one of the teams. Yeah. Uh, you know, what was pretty wild to see. So there was it felt like I was watching a slugfest. Like that was the game that I had on for for most of the late afternoon, especially mm-hmm. after the the Waddle injury for Alabama. So. Yeah, it's Oklahoma State. You know, they, they got Spencer Sanders back. They, they survived another one. Um, now their season starts to get a little bit ch- tougher from here on. It starts this weekend at Texas, but uh, or against Texas. But either way, like Oklahoma State, the road keeps setting up well for them if they don't screw it up um, to win to win the Big 12 as an undefeated team, which is pretty wild. But I mean, they have it looks like they have the pieces to do it. Speaking of undefeated teams. The number seven Cincinnati Bearcats. We've talked to, we've talked about a few teams over the last few weeks that, you know, by way of the Big Ten and the Mountain West and the Pac-12, you know, kind of slowly entering the field. You know, you're going to see some rankings that that aren't really maybe as legitimate as they would be in a normal year. Is Cincinnati the seventh best team in the country? 
They might be, man. I mean, they they have some serious dudes on that team. They have a ton of experience and in, in returned talent. And, uh, you know, they, they've had a runway up to this point, and they've pretty much smashed everyone that they've gone up against. Very impressive. So I'm in. Like, I, I think that they are, at the very least, the, the best uh, group of five team and probably the best group of five team maybe since 2018 or, or something like that. I mean, I don't know if they're quite to the level of that Central Florida team from 2017, but either way, they look awesome. The defense is really, really nasty that, you know, like pro football focus has a bunch of their players graded extremely highly. Desmond Ritter, I don't think has even played his best ball yet um, at quarterback. Uh, they just got Alec Pierce back, the receiver. So they, they got a lot of guys that I think haven't even hit their full stride just yet. So, I mean, that that's a scary proposition. Like they're going to end the year with like a fairly emphatic undefeated record I, I think at this stage i'd be surprised if anyone can knock them off i mean they really took it to smu last week which is uh, to hold that that offense in check the way that it did is no small feat yeah not since the days of was, was it tony pike was their quarterback like circa 08 that sounds right that yeah. Run? yeah i think zach calaros maybe made an appearance uh obviously this was pretty munchy era um but yeah, yeah it's, it's, pretty, it's a fun uh, gunner keel as well <laughs> gunner keel oh my god that is not a Cincinnati, not an Ohio name, Gunner Keel. That that is like pure Big Twelve or SEC. Yeah, it should it should have been. Um, you know, he's the guy that like bet. Yeah, he committed to like everybody at one point, and then you know <laughs> ends up just kind of like flaming out at at Cincinnati. Very yeah. very weird. All been there. Like, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go back to the Big Ten real quickly before we look ahead to Week Nine. We had a couple of upsets. Uh, Rutgers. I, I I guess it's an upset because anytime Rutgers wins a conference game, it's an upset. But yes. Dude, this Michigan State team is terrible. Like, I don't I don't feel like Michigan State blew this game by any means. I feel like they just got absolutely bodied by the better team. Yeah. At home. Yes. I think so. I think I have some faith and optimism that, that like Mel Tucker will end up being a, a good enough hire for Michigan State. But I think it speaks to how like bare the cupboard is that uh, D'Antonio left for them because he must have, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but he must have really slipped on the recruiting trail in, in recent years. It did feel like he, like he did, especially compared to like the middle of the decade when they, when they were pulling like pretty legit um, recruiting classes, not just by like Michigan state standards, but like by their own standards or like beating Michigan for, for guys, whatever it is that they just aren't that talented right now. They're probably like the, fifth or sixth most talented team in that division potentially so i mean it's yeah that's that was a very sobering look at, at the current state of, of of that program and given the way that uh you know that that school from across the state play, uh played uh with michigan uh this could be just a, a really brutal opening start to the season for michigan state and you know maybe they're the team that only ends up with like one or two big 10 wins this year well seriously i mean if you can't beat Rutgers I mean this is I think by far the most winnable game on your schedule like what I mean you look at the rest of the Big Ten right now I mean you're not you're not beating Wisconsin you're not beating Ohio State you're, you're still you're not beating Penn State like I, I think after watching Indiana you're, you're not beating them like the list of beatable teams for a team that loses by two scores to Rutgers you know shrinks pretty fast yeah you got Maryland left that's your yeah, only hope that, that might be the only one um let's talk about Indiana Purdue I, I think this was the ending of the week for sure. And I think maybe gave us like the play of the year so far. And in, in terms of uh, meme ability mm -hmm. and just kind of memorable uh, type of type of plays. I mean, this was I, obviously, we, you know, we talked about last week about Penn state, you know, without journey Brown, without Micah Parsons, uh, a little bit behind the eight ball, but 
I think talent wise, you know, there was no question that they would still be able to take care of business against a team like Indiana. I, I think maybe they would have some issues against the Michigans and the Ohio States and the Wisconsin's of the conference. But uh, for as good of a team as Indiana is, I, I don't think many people really gave them much of a shot. But I mean, this is this was another situation where I wouldn't say the better team necessarily won just because of the talent uh, with Penn State. But it, it, again, didn't really feel like all that much of a fluke. No, no. I mean, they, they they were going back and forth uh, throughout the game. So, I mean, it, it didn't feel like, yeah, some sort of weird, weird, lucky, you know, horseshoe uh, type of thing was going on with Indiana. Like they were going back and forth with them and, and you know, making it happen. So it was it was impressive throughout. And, you know, Penn State's defense, I thought, played pretty well. But, um, you know, Indiana was able to convert when they needed to and, and you know, make it happen that way. And I, I guess when we talked about them last, Indiana, like, they're a team that is really experienced, had like a ton of returning guys. I mean, starting at the quarterback position and, and you know, starting running back, you're starting tight end, your top two receivers, all those guys are back. Like, that's huge. So a lot of cohesiveness and, you know, it all results in them pushing that game to overtime and it didn't even need to get there. Like Penn State needed to do some things at the end of that game to make it there. Penn State scores in overtime, and I love the strat. Like when you're not as talented as the other team, man to man, the shorter you can make the game, the better. So like going for two there, it mm-hmm. it seems ballsy, but I think it's also the right call because like the longer yeah. that you wait around, the more likely that something bad is going to happen, and and you end up getting stopped or turning it over, and the other team just converts and and ends the game because they just simply have more guys than you. So if you're hot, you know in things are going your way, just, just go for it. And they did it. And, uh, you know, Mike Penix with the, with the incredible reach, um, to, to hit the pylon just, just barely. And yeah, that, that was amazing. Like that, the, um, I mean, that was like the closest call you can like possibly have at, at the pylon. Yeah. Right. I mean, that just insane. I don't even know if it was the right call, but I, also I don't either, don't but you couldn't reverse it. Call. Yeah, exactly. That was a call on the field stands and I don't, I don't see how you could definitively argue either way. I know there were some people that said, you know, the ball, or was it his hand or the ball had hit out of bounds? I think it was his hand, mm-hmm. but the ball, you know, he's kind of gripping the ball halfway up. And I, I think it was the right call. Like if, if I absolutely had to, to make a decision on it, I, I am totally fine with the one that was made. I, I am too. Uh, I know it stinks for Penn State and Penn State also lost Noah Kane from that game. So like that's going to make this weekend's game against Ohio State even tougher. But um. Yeah, I mean, overall, just like what an awesome like st- like the Big Ten really had some like fun, entertaining games to yeah. to get things rolling. Not they weren't always the most competitive, but like pretty like memorable moments and performances for the right. first weekend from them. Unfortunately, we get a bit of a contrast as we look ahead to week nine. Uh, we only have one ranked versus ranked, and that is Ohio State, Penn State. And that one in a normal year, we'd be looking at probably a you know Halloween whiteout in Happy Valley. It would yep. be one of the games of the year. Um, but with with the injuries and some of the defections that Penn State has had, and of course the loss last week, this one, you know, isn't quite what it looked like. I think when the schedule first came out, um, and Ohio State, 12 and a half point favorite on the road. I'm a, I, I will say I'm a little surprised that that number is not higher, especially given the fact that it's not really a true road game. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm a little surprised by that, too. I mean, like the home field advantage, like you mentioned, gets a little bit sapped. Um, got a number here from from Chris Felica, the bear from ESPN. James Franklin teams are seven and one against the spread uh, with three outright wins and two one point losses in their last eight games as an underdog. So his team has been a double digit home dog four times and he's won once outright and the other two have been by a touchdown or less. So he plays close. Uh, no matter what, especially when his team is underdogs. But I think that they're they're not just underdogs this week. Like, I think they are too undermanned. Like, I think, you know, when we talked about uh, th- this game potentially earlier on in the offseason, how it would determine the um, the Big Ten East, it you know, that would have come with a full-strength squad that had Micah Parsons and had Journey Brown and Noah Kane. Like, they don't have that. So I just... I think that Ohio State might might crush them. So I'm I'm in on the uh, on the double digit uh, win here for for the Buckeyes. I know that some of those uh, against the spread games that that were from the, those stats, the ones that they lost were just closer losses to Ohio State. I just think Ohio State is too good yeah. overall this this year to to lose this game uh, to Penn State or or let alone like really have this mm-hmm. one even be all that competitive, especially when there's no energy in, in the uh, in Happy Valley. Like usually like that's like the, they have like one of the best home field advantages. Like a couple of years ago, that, right. that game, they had they really had a chance to beat Ohio State and that that cha- that great Chase Young team. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, this time around, not so much. Yeah, I'm with you on that. We, we get Texas, Oklahoma State, a pretty appealing game in the Big 12 as as Oklahoma State, you know, kind of tries to continue its march potentially to that conference title. Uh, then Oklahoma, Texas Tech, another pretty good one in Lubbock. But yeah, for the Big Ten, it's a lot of, you know, good team against bad team uh, outside of that Ohio State, Penn State matchup. And it's kind of the same in the SEC. You know, your dogs are back in action after the bye, but they're at Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Uh, not a lot to see with Clemson this week. 32 point favorites at home against Boston College. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's, it's going to be a fun week. Something's going to happen. There's going to be an upset. Uh, it's just, it's kind of hard to pinpoint maybe where that comes this week. Yeah, so a lot of the times when we do get the the lack of like the marquee matchups, we do end up getting very fun games so that there are a few that we can identify that way. But yeah, there, there isn't a lot here that like moves the needle from like a national perspective. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, we, we don't get treated the same way that we did uh, last week or, or two weeks ago with, with number two versus number three or anything like that. Just one ranked matchup, like you said, that, that has already kind of lost some of its luster off of it, um, the way that things went. Um, in the off season and after we after the season opener, so it it'll be one that uh, you can you can definitely appreciate this slate, but it, it'll be it'll come from nowhere. It'll be a, a game that you're not expecting is going to be the one that that mm-hmm. people remember from this weekend. All right, what do you say we take a look at the DFS slate for Week Nine? Uh, we'll start out uh, not at the QB position, but I, I want to take kind of a you know a, more of an overhead look at, at what this slate looks like. Games you're targeting, spreads you're targeting totals that you like um yeah any position groups that you'll maybe be taking a look at yes so um i'm starting off with the louisville virginia tech game uh virginia tech kind of let me down last week um against wake forest but that's all right uh louisville on the other hand looked awesome against florida state um i expect that to continue um i I think this this is a really good setup i think louisville is at home and they've played a lot better at home this year um, than they have on the road. So that, that bodes well for them. And I think there's going to be a lot of points in this one. Uh, I think they have the highest total on the board uh, at 67. 
And you look at that and it's a spread of only three and a half points. So like you, there's an expectation that there's going to be plenty of offense from both sides here. So love that game to target. Um, Virginia Tech and Louisville both have like the fourth and fifth worst run defenses of, of any team on this slate. And it's a big slate. So I think that that's definitely noteworthy, especially with how good these run games are. Um, Ole Miss carries most of the total going up against Vanderbilt. Um, Vanderbilt will kind of have like some sneaky values here because like, you know, like they haven't had much in the way of any production, but Mississippi can let anybody score. So, so that'll be kind of fun. And then of course, Ole Miss, their offense should get back on track. Clemson, like you said, very, very high implied total that 40, 46 and a half, um, this week. Uh, Iowa State, they get Kansas, so that's good. I mean, I, I think that all all facets of that offense should be able to take off this week. Um, Notre Dame, 38.5 implied total against Georgia Tech. I think they can hit that as well, as long as they don't do a look ahead um, to Clemson. If they keep their heads down and just play their game, I think that they should be able to hang close to 40 on Georgia Tech. All right, so at the quarterback position, Sam Ellinger, Brady White at Memphis, and Trevor Lawrence are your top three is there a chance that you're fading all three of those guys? And if so, uh, where else on this board are you looking at the QB position? I think I am. And it's it's because, A, I don't think that any of these guys hit their optimal range of outcomes. Um, Ellinger, kind of a, a tough-ish matchup on the road against Oklahoma State. He was really, really inaccurate last week. And that I think that that could continue. Again, OK State's defense needs some respect put on its name. Uh, Brady White. I think Cincinnati could just smush the, this uh, Memphis offense. And, and uh, yeah, so I, I don't expect this to go particularly well for, for Memphis on Saturday. Um, so White, with that be, sinking 9,700 into him would be a mistake in my book. And Trevor Lawrence, again, you know, the, the, the rotating wheel of, you know, does he put up enough points to, for it to really matter to you in, in however long he's playing? I think that they're going to handle Boston College better than they did Syracuse last week. Syracuse really gave them all it could handle, but still ended up being a fairly comfortable win for, for Clemson, even though they didn't cover the 43. Um, but either way, I don't think that Lawrence is going to be I'm going after because also I just love the high-priced running backs this week. So you, to do that, you need to get some value at, at quarterback. So that, that's a tier that I'm going to be mostly avoiding. Anybody, you know, when you look lower down on the board, if you want to really save, you know, if you, if you have a lineup where you want to go all in on, you know, on the other skill positions, you know, any quarterbacks south of like 7,500 that you'll be looking at? Yeah. I mean, um, let's see. Um, Ian Book is at 7K, and, and he's in a really good position. Like, like I talked about earlier, I think that this Georgia Tech offense shouldn't uh, be too much trouble. It looked like Ian Book got back on track this past week, and he's got some established pass catchers now. Um, so he's in a rhythm, and he's also always a threat to run one in. So I like him a fair bit. Um, kind of bouncing around here. I still like uh, Hendon Hooker, even though last week didn't go very well for him. Um, I think that he bounces back this week against Louisville. That's a big way to, to get some exposure to that game. And Mikhail Cunningham on the other side of that one, I, I like a fair bit. Those guys are, are both um, north of 7,500. However, um, LSU, they give up the most yards per attempt of, of any defense on this slate. I still can't justify going with Bo Nix. I, I could see him melting down in this game. I think you could go after some of the Auburn pieces once again, like Seth Williams, Anthony Schwartz, Tank Bigsby, but Nix is someone I'm, I'm not particularly interested in. If you want to get real weird with it, which I often do, um, Rutgers, Indiana 
has two guys. Both the quarterbacks in that game are 6,100 apiece. We got Mike Penix and we got uh, Noah Vidral, a uh, former Central Florida guy, followed Frost to Nebraska. Didn't get the playing time, of course, did, you know, with Adrian Martinez being there. So now he's at Rutgers. He looked relatively impressive. He's got kind of like that Scott Frost dual threat ability. Um, he's got a little bit of weapons around him, and I just don't think there's going to be a ton of defense in this game. I think a lot of those turnovers from Michigan State last week were self-inflicted more than like Rutgers being suddenly this like absolute wagon on defense. So there should be a lot of points in this one, and I think both quarterbacks will be able to – I mean, you're not – needing a ton from them if they can both give you 20 points a piece and you can really crush with your other skill position guys with those savings then i think it works out so i will have one lineup with both of them and then i think i will play you know like one of the guys from this game along with like a more high-priced quarterback too so that don't completely just scroll past the indiana Rutgers game because i think there's some value there all right, so at the running back position, uh, you mentioned targeting that Kansas defense uh, mercilessly, and you, typically that uh, that tends to work out for teams with the exception of the Todd Reesing year. Um, <laughs> Brees Hall, accordingly, is the number one running back. He's at 9,100 on DraftKings. The spread in that game is 28. The implied total for Iowa State is 40. And so there's you know a good chance that we see Brees Hall for at least two and a half, three quarters in this game. Is that enough for you to trust him at that price? He gets so many carries like right to start things off. So they're going to feed him like he could be at the requisite, you know, 15 to 20 carries by like midway through the second quarter. Like that's just how big of a staple in that offense he is. Um, it's not Brocktober. It's Breestober. Brees Hall is going to absolutely like eviscerate Kansas. Uh, I, yeah, I know. Come on. There's got to be like a Breester kind of Easter Sunday type of thing going on. I don't know. <laughs> Unfortunately, bunny. we're not playing in April. Yeah. The Breester bunny. <laughs> But yes, either way, uh, the the 9100 like it, it can give you some sticker shock. But it's Brees Hall versus Kansas, like yeah, I'm there's not a whole lot to overthink. It, mm-hmm. You know, he could get the value on just 10 carries, but he's it's not in Iowa State's nature to give any, him any less than 15 carries, basically no matter what's going on in the game. So I do like him a fair bit. Um, all all the um, H named. Uh, running backs uh, Khalil Herbert go back to the well with him out of Virginia Tech I like his matchup against Louisville and then on the other side of that game um, son or yeah Javian Hawkins I'm sorry has been really dominant had like a huge game last week um, he didn't even have like a very high rostered percentage out there but the matchup was really good if you had him in your lineup you probably ended up cashing I expect him to do similar things to this Virginia Tech defense so like him a lot so again I'm really Really in on these higher priced uh, running backs for this week. Mm-hmm. If you do want to save at the running back position, though, where are you going? And I'm, I'm talking like bottom of the barrel. Okay, bottom of the barrel, indeed. Um, let's talk about Vanderbilt. Uh, Keon Henry Brooks, just 3,900 out of Vanderbilt, had double digit carries in their most recent game before they had a bye. Um, again, Ole Miss terrible defensively, so I think that this should set up well for him. Uh, I don't know if. Uh, if Vandy's going to get a couple of these other um, pieces back from it, from their backfield. But I think Keon Brooks, again, 3,900 Ole Miss giving up 256.8 rushing yards per game on 5.9 yards per attempt, almost four rushing touchdowns per game. So picking the right Vandy guy, none of them are, are really, um, you know, salary breakers for you. I think that that that's a nice way to save up. And then uh, Raheem uh, Blackshear, 
Um, a, a guy who used to play for Rutgers, now plays at Virginia Tech, coming off a of performance with 11 carries, had a hamstring injury earlier on in the season that he played through but was limited. But he's a guy that Virginia Tech was very excited to get um, eligible for this season. He's a really talented guy, really talented pass catcher too. So he's just 3,600. I think if you're just buying into um, the Virginia Tech offense and specifically like the run game, um, then Blackshear's a really nice way to go about it at 36. So at the receiver position, it, it's tough for anybody to really jump out to me. I mean, you have Elijah Moore, uh, at number one, at, he's at 8,400. Yeah, pretty big gap between him down to Terrace Marshall at 78. You got Sean Dykes, you got Tylen Wallace, you have Tutu Atwell, of course, at Louisville. You've been on these Auburn guys um for the for the majority of this year including seth williams who's at six thousand, is it back to the auburn well again this week i think so you know like i mentioned lsu has really really struggled um against the pass throughout the entire course of the season bo pelini just not really locking it down there defensively and scheme wise for them they, they did play better this past week um this game is at auburn so i think that maybe bo rick bo nicks maybe not be able to just not melt down enough to to make this worth it but yeah Seth Williams obviously had the huge game last week um Anthony Schwartz continues to see a ton of targets that's you know worth something for for PPR purposes so I mean I like Schwartz just enough um so yeah I think the the going back to the Auburn well makes some sense Schwartz down at 4900 so $1100 difference between him and Williams um another guy I like this week, I like a lot of these kind of mid-tier receivers. I don't think that paying up at receiver has the highest output potential. Uh, although, I mean, Terrace Marshall could could obviously dominate, and Tylen Wallace still hasn't totally gotten it into gear yet. But I think staying in like the six thousand and, and less range makes some sense. Um, talking about like Calvin Austin, now that Demonte Coxie is gone from from Memphis. Um, we saw Austin, I think, push for like 14 targets a week ago um, in his last matchup um, and did 13.1 yards per target, had 184 yards and a score, and he's just 5,900. So I know that I don't love the Memphis projection this week, but that many targets, that kind of production, I think he should be able to do at least a little something in that game. So look his way. Um, Tyquan Thornton. I think Baylor has some room to put to put up some numbers on the on the defense they're going against against TCU's pass defense. So he's a really talented guy. He saw a lot of targets last week. He's not a guy that should be averaging 3.9 yards per target. Maybe Baylor makes a quarterback change and things get on track as far as that passing game goes. I do like Tyquan Thornton. Tight end I like Michael Meyer, um, especially on Halloween. Um, the Notre Dame freshman tight end. Uh, he looks kind of i mean like ridiculous i mean he's a five-star tight end you only get like a handful of those a year maybe um some years you don't even get any um he's really starting to click with ian book i don't think there's anyone on georgia tech that can really check him up the seam um xavier hutchinson at 5500 again if you want to get a little piece of the iowa state passing game i don't know how much of brock purdy i'm gonna have but hutchinson is getting basically all the targets um, that are going to their wide receivers. They go to the tight end a lot. So Charlie Kohler is someone to pay attention to as well. But Hutchinson, good yards per target and good target share. So I like him a lot. Um, Wap Fillier and Peyton Hendershot, the Indiana guys, of course, going up against Rutgers. I like them. And I think, again, that uh, Alec Pierce just made his season debut for Cincinnati, but he was one of their best players all of last season has has been that for a little while now. Um, he's down at 4,200. Again, I think that uh, Cincinnati should be able to 
uh, crush Memphis. And I think that Pierce, all things being con- all things being equal, should be that number one guy in this passing game. So it wouldn't surprise me if he kind of wakes wakes back up and starts to do the things that we were expecting when, when healthy coming into the season. So let's finish out with the the state of the dogs right now, John. Technically, you know, it's been over a week, but you're coming off the Alabama loss sure. uh, back on October 17th. You had a bye this past week. Any chance that this Kentucky game is a trap looking ahead to Florida on November 7th? That's a good point about it being a trap potentially. And then, you know, you could also look at how bad Kentucky looked a week ago and maybe they don't take them as seriously. But I think also Georgia just went through two weeks of being constantly reminded what happened to them against Alabama. So catching them coming off of that, even though there's a buy in between, I think that Georgia should come out, um, you know, hungry and and playing sharp and should be a little bit healthier. Um, It is probably going to be Stetson Bennett once again. So it looks like they aren't going to make that quarterback change. So that limits again, the the overall outlook of this passing game, but uh, Kentucky, they can run the clock out on themselves. One thing I will say, though, and we've talked about him before, Joey Gatewood, I think, is going to start this game for, for Kentucky, and that's a bit of a wild card. Um, we haven't seen him start for Kentucky yet, but Terry Wilson um, is banged up, unlikely to play. Gatewood, so much athleticism, so much size. Um, so Georgia like better be ready for that because, I mean, We've seen them struggle against backup quarterbacks before, multiple times. And uh, it hasn't necessarily been against Kentucky, mm-hmm. but I think that Gatewood is legit. I think that Gatewood, on ta- on a balance of talent, probably is better than Bo Nix. At least uh, I'll venture that guess right now. Is, I know he, is he, he better than Stetson Bennett? Yeah, yeah. More talented, um, okay. At least more talented. Um, I'll, I'll say, you know, maybe this is just a, a tinfoil hat thing. But, I mean, there is a political implication to to starting Bo Nix or having Bo Nix win that job last year. I mean, his dad played there. He's like a long time, like he was supposed to be the second coming for, for Auburn. So it didn't surprise me that Nix ended up winning that job. And, and, you know, with him being a freshman, it made sense for Gatewood to go somewhere else and and him landing at Kentucky, I think is a really good spot for him. So I think that he will be a good SEC quarterback here moving forward. This is a tough spot for him. And I'm being like a little bit facetious about how worried I am. But like it wouldn't surprise me if he makes things a little bit uncomfortable for Georgia on Saturday. So they need to come out and play sharp. Is it pretty much just the Florida game or bust the rest of the year now? I mean, after that, it's Missouri, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Vanderbilt. Yeah. Once upon a time, I was worried about the Miss State game. Um, yeah, boy, not so much. Th- that program is literally falling apart right now. It's. <laughs> Everybody's yeah, I've, leaving. I've enjoyed your like weekly tweet recap of what exactly is burning down. <laughs> it's important to keep track. Yeah. Um, and and it, it's always seems like it's somebody new, but um, yeah, I think, I think this, that Florida game coming up in November will, will kind of be the determining factor. And that as per usual, that, that should decide the East. Uh, that, that's the way it's been for going on like six, seven years now. So I think that will kind of be the de facto SEC East championship game. And then you get the right to play presumably Alabama in the SEC title game. So um, yeah, Georgia has, has the road laid out for them. Got to, you know, get through the first checkpoint though, and, and beat uh, Kentucky on Saturday. All right, man. Enjoy the games on Saturday. I know I will. And we will talk next week. Likewise. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.